to do. Well, that's the only way to be a Christian. Now, of course, my message won't be popular tonight. But it's not designed to be popular. It's designed to be revelation. Now, I want you to go to this scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we're going to put it up on the screen so I can keep moving. 1 Corinthians 6. I want you to look at verse 19 and verse 20. All right, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and verse 20. Please, everybody, take a look at it up here. Here's what the Bible says. It says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And then it says, and you are not your own. All right, stop. Let me read it again. I got to read that one more time. It says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. Next verse. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are whose? That is Christianity. There can be no other Christianity outside of this. He said your body belongs to God and then he says here in the next verse that you were bought at a price and you are not your own you are God's now see this is why people don't get saved this is why people come to church and don't become disciples this is why people have a little taste of Jesus but they don't have the whole meal because what we're seeing in the scripture tonight and in this parable is that if Jesus is not Lord of all then he's not Lord at all. That means something. That means he reserves the right over what you do with your body. So if he says don't tattoo it, don't tattoo it. If he says don't overeat it, don't overeat it. If he says uh, don't throw it down in front of the bus and commit suicide, you can't be talking about what I want to do. You have no more right. He said, "This is I have bought this with a price. You have been redeemed. You see, people understand this more than you think. And so when they hear the gospel, instead of rushing to Jesus and falling on the altar, people hold back because they say things like, I am not ready because they don't want to surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, folks, this verse will help us to clear this up. It is one of every pastor's biggest dilemma. And that is trying to bring people, especially in the Bible Belt states, to an understanding that God did not come down out of heaven and die on a cross so that you could be religious. You know how difficult that is? When you're talking to people in the bank, or you're talking to people at work, or you're talking to people who are your family and friends, and you're trying to tell them, I've met Jesus, and I've been born again, and they say something like, well, I go to church. And you're telling them, Jesus loves you. He wants to be Lord of your life. Oh, well, I love God too. You know, and trying to make them see that there's a difference between being religious and being born again, folks, it is the dilemma that every pastor has because the devil has convinced people that if you can carry a Bible and sit in a church pew and sing Amazing Grace, that you're on your way to heaven. And it's tragic 
Because some people live their whole life and at their funeral, people talk about how good of a person they are and think that the preacher can preach you into heaven. Can't no preacher preach you into heaven. You see, so in the parable, Jesus is trying to show us by revelation. Now, we've studied all of these parables, folks. We're on number 16. We've studied all these parables, and here we are now with one of the most significant parables in all of the New Testament. And I'm not going to sit here tonight and let you not understand it and walk out of here Ignorant. You have to understand this tonight. Now go to Matthew chapter 7. It's one of those scriptures that used to bother me when I was a new Christian. Anytime I would hear Pastor Warner mention it, or maybe some evangelist would come to the church and talk about this verse, it would so disturb me because I would think about all of the older people in the church where I grew up, all of my aunts and uncles and cousins, I would think about all the funerals I've attended, and it disturbed me because as everybody was put into heaven, you know, even my wicked cousin who got hit by a car, he was a drug dealer, he was a fornicator, he was a blasphemer, and I remember at his funeral how they're talking about he's in a better place, and it was only when I got born again when I realized, you know what, my cousin is lost. It was because of this very scripture that shook me to the core. Let me read it to you before we, we talk a little bit about this parable. Is everybody listening to me tonight? Yeah. All right, look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, down to verse 23. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Stop! Yeah. Now, either he said it or he didn't. Folks, we're not reading a fairy tale here. We're reading the Bible. Which means that there are people who will say, Lord, not just once, but twice, Lord, Lord. And Jesus is saying, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. That should shake you the way it shook me. Because I grew up in church my whole life saying, Lord, Lord. I played music for the choir as a teenager saying, Lord, Lord. I would say my prayers before I go to bed, say, Lord, Lord. I'd bless my food before I eat and saying, Lord, Lord. And I realized that what you say doesn't make you a Christian. Amen. And it's not me who said it. It's the Lord Jesus. Now continue reading. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, went into the kingdom of heaven, but watch. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Let's continue to read. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, the scene here is standing before God one day when people die. And the Bible says they're going to say, Lord, look at the things I've done in your name. I've done great things, many wonderful things. And the Lord's response, according to Jesus, will be this. I never knew you. 
But I was a member of Metro Atlanta Christian Center. I never knew you. I was a member of First Presbyterian. I was a member of Second Baptist. I was a member of Rima Bible Church. I, I never knew you. Because it's more than religious words and religious activities. Come on. Born again is exactly that. It is a radical encounter with Jesus that has so affected you that the master of your life has been switched. Amen. If alcohol has been controlling you for 20 years, all of a sudden that is surrendered. Now Jesus is controlling you. If weed and meth and cocaine were controlling you, that's been surrendered. Now Jesus is controlling you. If lust and fornication and all type of sexual sins have been controlling you, that has been surrendered. Now Jesus is controlling you. Come on. If greed and lust for money have been controlling you, that's been surrendered. And now Jesus is controlling you. Jesus is Lord. Now, folks, as I'm sharing this with you tonight, some of y'all are looking at me like a frog in a hailstorm. Y'all just blinking your eyes at me as if somehow I'm up here lying to you tonight. What well, I'm giving you the scriptures because I want you to understand I have a job as a pastor and that is to shepherd you into the pearly gates of heaven. My job is not like these pastors in this newspaper article to make you sit in the pew and feel good by taking terms like Lord and Master and repent and all those things out of the Bible. No, if anything, put them in even more. The whole idea is to break the power of religion so that people can have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Say amen. amen. Now, let's talk about the parable and its deep, deep lessons why Jesus gave this parable. Now, go back to Matthew chapter 21. And this is the parable that we talked about. It's Matthew 21. And we started off at verse number 33. I want you to stay with it as I read. Keep your, keep your eyes on the scripture, either on your Bible or on the, on, on the screen up behind me. Watch what it says. He said that there was a certain landowner. He planted a vineyard, set a hedge around it, dug a wine press, built a tower. Then he leased it to vine dressers, and he went into a far country. So it's very important that you first get the picture. He has a vineyard. He's got his hedge, he's got his tower, and he's got his wine press so that when the grapes are ripe, you can press the wine, get the grape juice, you know, you know, and, and, and he can sell it in the market, you can drink it, whatever you want to do. You can eat the grapes. He's, he, so he's got everything set up. It's like a production. And then it says, after he built it, he leased it out to these people who the Bible calls vine dressers. Now, we could just say anybody. Back in the old days of the South, we would call this sharecropping. Sharecroppers are, 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 are people who weren't necessarily slaves. They didn't have much freedom, but they were a step above slaves in the sense that you could work the land and you could make a living from it, but you would have to give a portion of it or share that with the people who own the property. Sharecroppers. And so that's what this is, sharecropping. It says, listen, this is my vineyard. I'm going to lease it to you people. You can work it. You can get grapes. You can get grape juice. You can do anything you want to. But when the vintage time comes, 
when I come to get my portion, just give me my portion, and you guys can live on the land, you can enjoy it, you can be blessed. Come on, folks, that's grace. Amen. He has leased out his vineyard and told them, I'm giving you a chance to make a living for yourself. Here's the condition. When I show up to get some, don't be acting crazy. Ain't that right? In other words, I, I, I give you my six-bedroom house. You and your family can live here, but when I show up and need to spend the night in the guest room, don't be acting crazy. This is my house. I'm letting you and your family have all five bedrooms, living room, kitchen, garage, front yard, backyard, because I'm out of town. When I show up in Atlanta and I need a place to stay, don't be talking about, well, you got to get a hotel. Just give me the key. Let me have my little room for a week and a half while I'm here and everything going to be all right. But you know there's some people who are going to try to run me out my own house. So here we go. So next verse, verse number 34. It says this. Now when vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. Uh Uh-oh, now here it starts. In other words, the grapes are ripe. It's called vintage time, harvest time. Grapes are flowing. Everybody is making wine and making grape juice. And he shows up and said, listen, you all are my servants. Go down to my farm and just tell them that the master sent me and he wants to get a few bottles of grape juice, maybe get a few clusters of grapes, and we're going to take it back to him. And the Bible says he sent the servants to his vineyard to get some of his grapes. Yeah. Now look at verse 35. And the vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another one. Folks, these crazy people. Come on, say amen. I need y'all to say amen because in a little while you're going to have to say ouch. Do you see what has happened? They started acting like it was theirs. So you see where the struggle is in the parable. The struggle is a struggle of ownership. Who owns this vineyard? They were enjoying it so much that they forgot that there was a master. They were enjoying this whole, you know, farming the grapes and eating the grapes, selling in the market, making money. They were having such a good time that when the owner sent to get some, they totally forgot that this ain't ours. Is it hidden home yet? Verse 35. The vine dressers took his servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned. Verse 36. Again he sent others, or more, after they killed those, he sent more than the first, and they did likewise, or the same thing. And then it says, last of all, verse 37, he sent his son, saying, they'll respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir, which means when the master dies, this boy is going to take over. Let us kill him, and then we can seize the whole inheritance. 
kill the son, and all of a sudden, everything is ours. That's the parable. Are y'all feeling this yet? Now, this is not just Jesus at his best telling a story. Come on, folks. He's trying to tell these people who are listening to him minister and preach. He's trying to tell them something. I own everything. I have given you everything you have. From your body to your mind, your gifts and talents, come on, the money in your pocket, the family you have, the job that you work on, Jesus is trying to tell, I have given you everything. And I've given it to you with so much liberty that you can go to school if you want or you can work and then in the ditch if you want. You can become a football player if you want. You can become a musician. Whatever you want to do. I've given it to you that you can do what you want. If you want to be a school teacher, if you want to be a banker, I don't care what you want to do. If you want to just stay home and be a housewife to your children, whatever you want to do. He said, I've given it to you. He said, I'm a good God. But when I show up and ask for something, don't start tripping. When I show up and put a calling on your life and say, I want you to drop that now because I want to send you into the mission field. When he shows up and said, okay, I need you now to go over here and do some work over at the rehab center or over at the old folks' home where they need God or maybe on a Saturday to go into the community and share the gospel. Don't be acting crazy. Talk about I do what I want to do. He said, I own all of this. And I've given it to you and you've enjoyed it. You work your eight hours a day. You work your 40 hours a week. You got some money. You ought to be thanking me. So now I show up and say, can you give me a tithe, just 10%? You start to eat my money. See, something wrong with you. You don't understand. That's what the parable is all about. He said, I've given you everything. You remember when you were walking the streets and you could barely make minimum wage? All of a sudden, I've got you on 30, 40, 50,000 a year, and now you can't drop a tithe in the church. Oh, I'm going to preach it tonight. Yes, I am. You don't forget that people who get married when they were single, how they would show up on average and do something for God. Then you get them married and you can't even get them to make it to a Sunday morning service. And God said, you forgot that, that I blessed you. I am the one who raised you up. And what he's trying to say is that I don't care where you go in life, you can't forget the goodness and the grace of God. Amen. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. <sighs> now, you know, this is a deeply spiritual parable with some deeply spiritual lessons. But you know, if you live in the world where I live in, where you're constantly praying for people and 
carrying the burden of people's soul on your back and trying to get them to be obedient and trying to get them to live right and, and people don't even know that the hours that you're, you're at home praying, oh God, help them. And, and, and it's like these things just elude people's mind. They forget that Jesus is Lord. You know, you guys have heard me mention this before. And I'm just going to mention it again just because I like to. But I've lived in many places around the world. Lived in many cultures. Talked to a lot of people from different walks of life. And I'm going to tell you that Atlanta, Georgia is the absolute worst place I've ever lived for people refusing to pay their rent. It wasn't this bad in a developing country like Jamaica. It wasn't this bad when I lived overseas in Europe. I've never seen nothing like what I've seen in Atlanta where people will buy tennis shoes and new fingernails and clothes and gadgets and will not pay their rent. I've never seen nothing like it. Atlanta's the worst. And it bothers me so bad because it's against the basic principle of decency that you're living in somebody's house. Somebody else owns it. Now they've agreed to let you live there, you and your children, your cousin, your mama, everybody else you got up in there. They agreed to let you live there. And then when rent time come and they show up, you start calling them wicked. Wicked. Wicked? Who the wicked one? Rent's due on the first. And so most of them have a little grace period until the fifth or the sixth, and then they still got to come knocking again. Cussing them out. Who they think they is? Don't they understand? They don't understand nothing. The point is, they by grace have given you keys to their place. And folks won't pay the rent. See, this is the lesson of the parable. Jesus said, this is mine. Matter of fact, let me stop for a minute and show you how, 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 how deeply it is his. In Psalms 24 and verse number one. Come on, I ain't through yet. We're just going to go all the way in tonight. Let me just, let's just get it over with. We can get on the altar and have the victory and enjoy Christmas. Praise God. Okay, Psalm 24, verse 1, watch. The earth is whose? The earth is who? That's right. It don't belong to the governor of Georgia. It don't belong to Donald Trump, the president of the United States. The earth is whose? And what else? And all its fullness. The world and those who dwell in it. So hear what God said. The earth is his and everybody in it is his. That means you his. Your children is his. Your baby daddy is his. Come on. Your cousin and them, they his. Everybody. said all of the earth is his and everybody who live in it is his. Now this is what Christians understand. That God gave me life and God put me in this beautiful world. 
So what in the world has happened that people act like they own it? That's the parable. Jesus says, I've planted a vineyard, I've hedged it, I've put a tower there, I've put, you know, the wine press there, and then I gave it to these people. You'd think that they'd be dancing all year long. Woo, woo! We serve a good God. Uh, gave us a vineyard, a wine press. Man, we can make money. We can do all. Oh, God is so good. Church on Sunday? Yes, indeed. I'll be there when the door is open. Shout praise to his name? Absolutely. I'm not ashamed to be a child of God. Give him some tithes? Yes, I will. Because God has done so much. That's the attitude you think that people would have. But that's not what you see in the parable. And that's why it's there. The master shows up and just says, give me a couple bottles of grape juice. Just give me a couple bottles. Y'all can keep all the rest. And they kill the people. I ain't giving y'all nothing. Took some stones and started stoning them. Now the master is over here hearing the story. They beat us, they stoned us, and some of them were dead along the road. You know what he did? He sent some more. He could have sent an army and killed everybody. He could have showed up and kicked them off the property. Y'all not hearing me. He could have showed up like a landlord with a, with, a, with a warrant. Get out of my house. Throw your stuff out on the curb. That's what he could have did. But what did he do? He sent some more. Let me give him another chance. Can you see the grace of God? Can you see the mercy and the goodness of God? And when, when, when the next set showed up, the Bible said it did the same thing to them. Beat them, stoned them, and killed them. Can you see how deep their greed has become? You see how deep their selfishness has become. How their possessiveness of what is not even theirs have become. And the Bible said you're not your own. You know how many people say this is my body? You know how many people will tell you this is my life? You know, we talk to people on outreach. Hey, God wants you to give your life. My life? This is my life. This is my money. This is my job. This is my time. This is my, this is my. And this is what Jesus is exposing, the insanity of people who are blasphemous and irreverent toward God because they don't understand that God owns you and God owns everything. See what I'm talking to you about tonight? We make people get up and storm out the church and call every one of us in here crazy. Because the world, the entertainment, the academic, the schools, the universities have turned everything from the Bible into an insanity of what we call humanism that you are the center of the universe. Whatever you want. Do whatever you feel. Think however you think. Oprah Winfrey has this phrase now about your truth. And the whole phrase says, live your truth. She loves to say it. Live your truth. Can, can somebody tell me what that means? There's only one truth. 
So if there's 30 or 40 people in here tonight, that means everybody here got a truth. Your truth is different from hers, from hers. And she said, you know what? Just live your truth. That is so new age. Just live your truth. That's taking people to hell, folks. You don't have a truth. Only God has the truth. Come on. If God made you a man, you a man. You don't have a truth that says, well, I'm something else. Say amen, somebody. But you see, the world has done this, and this is why people have rejected the Bible, rejected the church, and rejected preachers like me, because they bought into this whole lie of the New Age movement that it's your truth, it's your feeling, it's what you like, it's what you want, that it's exactly what Jesus is exposing in the parable, because he says, I'm still the master, and I want some of what's mine. Well, we're going to kill you, we're going to stone you, and when you send your son, we're going to kill him too. That's exactly what they did to Jesus when he came into the world. As he began to speak the truth of God's kingdom, they hung him up on a cross, called him a blasphemer, and crucified him. Folks, this parable has some deep, rich truth in it. Come on. Everybody still with me now? You know, these chief priests, these Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, all of these people in the Bible who were enemies of Jesus. Listen to the titles that they had. The chief priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. These were the highly educated, highly political, these were the aristocratic folks of Jesus' day. They would be today here in Georgia, they would be the governors and presidents, the city councilors, the professors in universities. They would be the lawyers. They would be the people who we would put on the high echelon of society, the cream of the crop, aristocracy. That's the term that they use. And that's who they were. And the Bible says they were enemies of Jesus. But here is the kicker. Look at me, everybody. All of them went to synagogue. All of them read manuscripts from the Old Testament. They were religious. They went to church. And when God came in their midst, they crucified him. Because Jesus said things like this. He who is not with me is against me. They crucified him because Jesus said things like this. Except a man is born again, he will not see the kingdom of heaven. And that rubbed their religious bones the wrong way. Who does he think he is? We know the Torah. We know the scriptures. We go to church. And Jesus said, yeah, and every one of y'all going to hell. Because religion is not Christianity. Now, saints, as, as, as this whole thing begins to unravel in front of our face here tonight, you can't afford to be one of those that misunderstand this. That's why I thought it would bring more clarity and anointing 
that if I just stood here and preached to you tonight, that everybody here could understand that Jesus goes after the religious spirit and he goes after it with a tenacity. Because I personally believe, and I don't think I'm the only one, that more people will be religious in hell than whores, whoremongers, prostitutes, and drug dealers. Matthew 21, verse 31. Matthew 21, verse 31. Exact same context. Just move a couple of scriptures up from verse 33 where our parable is. Go up to verse 31. Watch what the Bible says. Which of the two did the will of the father? This is the parable of the two sons. And they said the first, Jesus said to them, watch. Surely I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. Now that's a slap in the face. Imagine if Jesus was in Atlanta today and he walked over to a bishop of the Episcopal Church. He's got his hat on, he's got his staff, he's got his robe on, and he's walking up the aisle on Sunday morning. And sitting in the back is a girl with a miniskirt, fishneck stockings on, half of her chest hanging out. She's all made up with red hair. She just got through on the night before walking the streets selling her body, but she came to church because she's tired of the way she's living, and she's coming in there, and Jesus walks up and says to the religious man, you know, that prostitute on the back row, she's going to get to heaven before you. Imagine how that would make you feel. See, folks, Jesus was radical. Because he's trying to go after that spirit where people do nice little things and think, this makes me a Christian because I do nice little things. He's trying to say, no, what makes you a Christian is a new life, a regeneration of your spirit through the Holy Spirit because you've been born again. Come on, folks. God is making this crystal, crystal clear. So here's what it comes down to so that we can finish. Here's what it comes down to. When the master shows up to the vineyard, which is his, he walks up to the vineyard. Well, actually, he sends his servants to the vineyard so he can get some of what's his. And he says, listen, the master wants, you know, some grapes or whatever the case may be, and they don't want to give it. So they stone him, beat him, and kill him. He sends some more. They stone him, beat him, and kill him. Then it says, last of all, he sends his son. In other words, let me try one more time before I bring judgment. Let me try one more time. See, God's mercy, the Bible says, endures forever. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that he didn't judge you the first time you failed? Aren't you glad that he didn't just send you to hell the first time you messed up? Come on, aren't you glad the first time you had those backsliding thoughts, he didn't just come? Aren't you glad that he had another chance and then another chance and then another chance? Thank God for his mercy. And then he sends his son, and their mentality was, listen, this is his son. If we kill the son, he doesn't have nobody else to send, and we can take the whole thing. 
In other words, it's all going to be ours. Mine. Mine. What God gave me, mine. What God lent to me, mine. What God leased to me, mine. What I'm a steward, mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. So he walks up and they ask the question. After they killed his son, they said, what is he going to do to these people? And we read what the Bible says. It said he's going to utterly destroy them. And then he's going to give his vineyard out to other people who will give him what is his. Now, this is the lesson, folks. Let me finish with this. This is so important. We started off by saying that Jesus is Lord. Lord means master. And the only simple way I can break this parable down to you that you can leave here with a good understanding, it would simply mean this. Listen, it all comes down to this question. Look at me, look at me. Can God tell you what to do? That's it. He comes to the vineyard, which is his. Say, I would like you to give me some of the. You, you tell me what to do. That is the classic spirit of a religious person. You can't tell me what to do. Listen to me, folks. If God can't tell you what to do, then he doesn't own you. Okay, let's go a step further. And no one is going to heaven that God doesn't own. If God can't tell you what to do, he doesn't own you. That's Lord, that is master. He is in charge. If he can't come to you as you're sitting in this church tonight and tell you what to do, then he's not Lord of your life. If he can't tell you, leave that job and go to this one. If he can't tell you, don't you marry that man or don't you marry that woman. If he can't tell you that, he doesn't own you. If he can't tell you, put that down. He doesn't own you. See, Jesus is Lord, means he's the master. And if he comes and tells me, give me some of those grapes, Lord, how many do you want? I want you to move from there. Lord, when do you want me to move? I want you to get up there in that choir and start using that gift I gave you. But, but Lord, I'm ashamed and I'm shocked. It has nothing to do with it. Lord means he is my master. And, and the only way to prove that he's your master is answer this question. Can he tell you what to do? It's sad, folks. We live in a world where people claim ownership over what is God's. (sighs) 
sympathize a little bit because I was out there in the world being rebellious at one time. You know, I've been a pastor a long time, and hey, I, I'm still a work in progress. But I'll tell you this, I can sympathize. I know the battle that people feel. I felt it, and I know some of you here, you feel it. I know the battle. I used to tell the very funny story about when I rented a car in London a lot of years ago. I went in for a marriage retreat, me and my wife, and I remember they, they rented us when I went to Thrifty Car Rental to pick up my rental car when we landed at Heathrow Airport. I remember they gave us this beautiful convertible. Now, you know, I've never owned a convertible, so you know it was a sunny day. Man, I put the top down. Me and Barbara riding down to the coast. You know, she got long hair, her hair's waving, and I'm looking over there going, woo, woo. I'm cruising. We got the music playing. She looking good, hair blowing in the breeze. We kept that car for 10 days. Listen, I tuned in all the radio stations that I like. I mean, I got the seat adjusted, you know, and it's one of them seats where after you set it, you just hit a button and it goes back to where you've got, you know, so the, the, the seat is adjusted to me, the steering wheel is adjusted, the radio is on all my favorite stations, got my bride riding. We've been for 10 days. You know, when it came time to leave, I didn't want to give it back. I mean, it's like a spirit came over me. Just 10 days in this rental car, and I started thinking it's mine. I was trying to find a way to, you know, hide it out at Pastor Ajala's house and then tell him I, I lost the car, it got stolen or something. I mean, I was, I mean, I couldn't believe what was coming up in my head. I was like, man, I enjoyed this car so much, I didn't want to give it back. Now, some of you are laughing, but why are you laughing at me? You know what I'm talking about. Start thinking that it's yours. So I know how these people felt. Imagine 10, 15 years in this vineyard and just enjoying the grace of God and all of a sudden you start thinking it's yours. I've been in this body of mine 50 plus years. Of course I start thinking it's mine. If I want to do something to it, I'll do it. If I want to brand it, paint the hair pink, that's my business. Ain't none of y'all been in my body. Y'all laughing because some of you know what I'm talking about. Because the longer you got a lease, the easier it is to forget that there's an owner. And here's exactly what Jesus is trying to teach us in these parables. These people forgot. Maybe the first year he didn't show up. Maybe the second year he didn't want no wine. But after about third or fourth year, you know, I think I want some grapes this year. And they start all of a sudden. What, what, what? You belong to God. Everything you have belongs to God if you're a Christian. Come on, because we've surrendered it all on the altar to Jesus. You have to allow God to tell you what to do. He said, because you are not your own. The only way to have disciples in a church, the only way to reach a city for Jesus, because you folks know, hey, we're all leaving this world one day. All the stuff we get is only temporary. The only way to make disciples and build God's kingdom and reach the lost is if God can come and move you. If 
all you want to do is be religious and show up on Sunday, do your little hallelujah, Lord, Lord, and then go home and then we see you next Sunday. Listen, God's kingdom will never be one like that. There's going to have to be some Monday Christians. There's going to have to be some Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday Christians. Come on. There's going to have to be some people to say, Lord, I, I can give up my time on Friday night. I can give up my time Thursday morning. There's got to be somebody who says, you know what, Lord, if you need me, I'm available. There's got to be people that don't say, well, this is mine and, and I got my body and I just I'm tired. And I just somebody's got to say, Lord, if you need me, I'm yours. Amen. Of course. It means that they don't have as much to sell. Of course, they're not going to have as much grapes, but they're giving him God what is his. Come on. It is a higher purpose. It is a higher calling. And the parable tonight is designed to bring us into that fullness where we can be one of those who he says he's going to come and destroy these wicked people. And then he's going to give his vineyard to people who would give him what's his. Which means God is looking for people who he can tell what to do. Praise the Lord, folks. He's simply looking for people who will say, you know what, God? I'm yours. Anytime you need me, anytime you need anything that I have, God, it's yours. You own it all. You want my car to go and pick somebody up for church on Sunday morning? Lord, where they live, of course I will. Because I remember when I didn't have a car. I remember when I used to get on the bus and have to walk. You blessed me with a car. How can I say no? Someone wants a ride to church. Pastor told me they need a ride. How can I, well, you know, my gas. And I, what's wrong with you? This is what the parable is all about. And what God says is that you keep on having that attitude and I'm going to visit you. I remind you of the days that you didn't have all the blessing you got now. I remember Pastor Warner used to tell the joke. You know, a guy paid his tithes when he made $100 a week, 10 bucks. He paid his tithes when he made $1,000 a week, 100 bucks. When he made 10000 he said, wait a minute now. $1,000 a week is a little bit too much to give the church. You know what the pastor said to him? Well, I'll tell you what I'll do. How about if I pray that God will take you back to $100 a week because that's when you obeyed the Lord. <laughs> How many know 100 a week is God's and 10,000 a week is God's? And the tithe, it, just because it seems to be more, it's not anymore. It's an acknowledgement and an honoring of God. I don't even know how I got on this tithe thing tonight. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe somebody need to hear it tonight. I don't know. Listen. Real Christianity is surrender. And it's not surrendering everything, folks, because God has given us so much. What it is is saying, God... What you request, what you want, I'm willing to part with. And I'll tell you where it begins. It begins with our sins. Is laying those down and coming to Jesus as Lord of our life. So as we finish tonight, folks, I want you all to remember the core of the parable 
comes down to this very last phrase that when he comes to judge these people, said he's going to destroy them miserably. Now, I don't know what all that means. I'm not even going to try to go there. That's God's business. All I know is I don't want God coming to visit me with any kind of destruction because I'm not giving him what's his. But I will tell you this, as a pastor, I've seen a lot of people go from hero to zero. I've seen it. I've seen beautiful families completely shattered because men and women couldn't appreciate what God gave them. I've seen people's personal finances go from completely blessed almost to, to the point of bankruptcy because they wouldn't give God what's his. And it's not an easy thing to deal with when you see people struggling like that. He said he will visit them, make it miserable, he says. And then he's going to give it to somebody who will give him what's his. Well, here's our lesson tonight. Just give him what's his. Amen. Say amen. Let's just make up our mind that, Lord, you will be Lord of my life. And whatever you want, whatever you require, I understand that you own it all. And to give you back a little bit of what's yours is not some big, big struggle for me. If anything, I am grateful, Lord, to give back what you've given to me. Amen, everybody? Y'all understand the parable? You understand the significance of it for our lives as Christians every single day? Now, listen. This is not the kind of ministry or preaching or teaching that is popular in the Christian world today. It's not the kind of sermon that you're going to see on the television on Sunday because what people want to tell people is about the blessing and how good it is and the hope how God is with you and God's going to be with you and God's your this and God's your that and people shouting and becoming religious. What I want you to do is be a people that enjoy everything God has given you. Enjoy it all the way to the fullest. But don't enjoy it so much that when God comes, you would tell him no. Always keep a tender heart. Folks, God don't bless you because he's trying to take anything. God blesses you because he wants you to bless others. Come on, he's not trying to bless you and then come and take it. That's not what the story is about. What the story is about is that there will be a day when God will require something of you. Maybe a deeper commitment. Maybe a little bit more faithfulness. Maybe he's going to have a calling on your life to do greater things for God. But you're caught up in your job and making money. And, no, I can't go be no pastor. I can't go preach. I can't go do, no, because I don't want to disrupt my lifestyle. You've got to have to settle that with God tonight. Amen. Because remember, he's given you everything. And when he comes, and one day he will. And all he wants you to do is just say, yes, Lord, whatever it is. Everybody say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Amen. Let's pray. I want you to bow your heads, everybody.